as someone uh, asked at noon, what is the method, what's the procedure for uh, developing, uh, attaining jhana samadhi? I think that many people overestimate the importance of technique. The technique is um, of course also not uh, unimportant. But the main thing is, as we talked about, the gradual reduction of the five hindrances. And what we not talked about at noon is the gradual development of the five faculties. Now, the hindrances is what stops us on the spiritual path. And the five faculties is kind of the engine that propels us ahead. Five hindrances are, as we discussed, central desire, aversion, tiredness, laziness, restlessness and remorse, and number five, doubt. And the spiritual faculties are number one, sadha, uh, conviction, confidence, faith in the triple gem and karma and so on. Number two, virya, energy. Number three, mindfulness. Number four, samadhi. And number five, panya. And in, uh, in one session, one cannot dramatically change these five. They have a certain level. It's like an athlete. Now, the technique is a little bit, of course, now, if an athlete has a good technique, and then at the event they can squeeze out now, maximum performance. But there's no way in having maximum performance and winning unless you have gradually built up your strength over a month and years. Now, this is quite similar. And if the five hindrances are strong and the five faculties are weak, however good our technique, and also however many hours we sit, it will not really lead to samadhi or also not really to insight. So a lot of the practice is gradually building that up. And that is also known as building parami, even over lifetimes. Now the ten paramis are slightly later in different category, now, but uh, whether you call it paramis, whether you call it the five faculties, now the basic point is now gradually building up all the wholesome spiritual qualities and gradually reducing the filing away, um, weakening the uh, hindrances, now the defilements, basically. One simile the Buddha gave is uh, if a craftsman has got a tool, like, like a hammer, and a carpenter has got a hammer, and if he works all day, he will not notice that the handle of the tool has worn out at the end of the day, also not on the end of the next day. But if he works with a hammer for 10 years, then he will notice that actually the handle wears out just from holding it. 
Now, this is how um, the defilements have to be reduced now, with that very gradual approach. And you wouldn't really see much in one day, and you usually see within days, hours, and you see the normal up and down, how strongly they manifest. So important is to get a little bit of viewpoint of what is the average long-term development, or the defilements in the average long-term getting weaker, or the spiritual faculties in the average long-term getting stronger. That's the important one. And sometimes we may feel we are moving backwards because you know, for whatever internal, external reasons, sometimes for days or even weeks, you know, certain defilements can be quite strong. doesn't mean anything is wrong. You, know, you have to look at the long-term average. This is really uh, the basis of the practice. And if someone has very weak defilements and very strong spiritual faculties, even if they don't sit much and even if they don't have a particular refined technique, the mind will just unify. When the Dhamma teacher once compared it with a drop getting into a castle castles on top of the hill. Now, there are two things. You have to climb to the top of the hill and then you have to unlock the, the door to get in. And then technique is a bit like having the key to unlock the door. So without that you can't get in. You need some suitable meditation object and some skill in using it. But if you're standing at the bottom of the hill <laughs> It will not work, you can't open. You first have to do the hard work of gradually getting up the hill, which is reducing the defilements and strengthening the spiritual faculties, strengthening the parami. And then the other crucial ingredients there is uh, Piti, Pasadi, Sukha, the gladness, rapture, tranquility, and bliss. Now that is a description of the Buddha repeats so many times. Now classically, the simile, you know, the five hindrances are abandoned. And we talked about you know, that as like number one centrality is like a debt. You have paid off all your debt, the mortgage, the loans, and your credit debt, and if you're very happy. Number two, no, aversion, it's like being sick. So you've got a bad flu and now you have recovered, if you're very happy. Number three, the laziness, tiredness. That is no being in the dungeon, in, imprisoned incarcerated in the dungeon, dark dungeon, and now you're released, if you're very happy. Restlessness and remorse, now that is being a slave and working all the time for the master's benefit, not for your own, being commanded around continuously, never being able to do what you like. And then you're released from slavery, if you're very happy. 
And number five, doubt, vichikicca, that is being lost in the desert, trying to find a way out, and then you find an oasis. You feel very happy. So even with one of those, then we would have a great happiness, great gladness and joy. But all five, it's basically overwhelming happiness. And then the Buddha describes now that this uh, gladness from having overcome the five hindrances uh, unfolds into rapture. Now the rapture has the effect because it's felt throughout the body. Now rapture is a particular form of joy, gladness, happiness. Now that is quite physically felt, now suffusing the whole body. And that leads to kaya pasadhi bodily tranquility. And this is one reason that people with good samadhi, you know, they can sit all night and when they get up in the morning, you know, they don't have to go to the orthopedic surgeon to get two new knee, knee joints or something like that you know, because you, you can actually do damage if you just force yourself sitting. You don't have samadhi, you, know, you just force yourself sitting. Some people do that you know, for dukkha vedana meditation to deliberately you know, induce that pain from not changing the posture, but also not being in samadhi and then contemplating pain. But it is possible you know, to damage to the body. But it seems you know, this uh, particular kaya pasadi is such a deep relaxation and tranquility of the whole body you know, that uh, you can actually sit so long and it doesn't cause harm. And then uh, because of the tranquility of body, one will experience bliss. And uh, the blissful mind uh, unifies in samadhi. This is a classic description the Buddha gives, abandoning five hindrances. And then the sequence, abandoning the hindrances, gives you so much pamodja, gladness, rapture, bodily tranquility, bliss, unification in samadhi. very much aware of that. I often follow Libet Ajahn just I'm not even talking so specifically about jhana because you almost have to ask, what do you mean by jhana? Is that Paok Sayadur jhana? It's not just lay teachers, even among the monks there can be big differences. Is it a Paok Sayadur jhana or is it Ajahn Bam jhana? Is it an Ajahn Taniso jhana? Is it a Lumpote jhana? Certain Amata Gavesi or this or that, lay teacher's jhana, Ayakema jhana, because it appears, it's hard to say, no, but from what they describe, it appears they seem to be talking about different states, different mind states. Um, my own faith, 
is with those teachers, those Kuba Ajans, who usually consistently describe that as the very profound states of the mystical unification, which also fits with the Buddha who calls it Uttari Manusadhamma. They are included in superhuman attainments and are even just claiming the first jhana for a monk if they knowingly lie about that, and they know they haven't attained it, and, and knowingly lie that they have it. Now, this is sufficient grounds for paradic offense. They wouldn't be a monk anymore. So already from there, it is quite clear that it's not just that you feel relaxed and at ease, and the Vitaka Vitrava as two factors of the first jhana, uh, initial and sustained thinking or something like that, or thought and examination, so you're thinking quite relaxed and then you think this is first jhana. I personally don't believe that. My faith is with the uh, teachers who describe it as a very uh, profound state. And even what is sometimes called Upachava Samadhi, which is a little bit later commentary term. The Buddha himself doesn't talk about Upachava Samadhi, but in any case, what is called Upachava Samadhi is actually not yet full Samadhi. But someone may already be sitting basically all night with a completely bright and radiant mind, and they may have amazing nimittas, either just a super bright light going for hours, or all kinds of fascinating images or visions. But still on the level of what is called neighborhood concentration, not even yet full samadhi. But it appears you know, that uh, some teachers describe them as something fairly easy. You know, you're just in a calm, relaxed, joyful state with thinking. My understanding would also be, again, uh, what I, where I have confidence in the teachers, uh, that the Vitaka Vichava in the first jhana, uh, that is clearly given already uh, also in the early scriptures, that's one of the factors. And uh, Vitaka Vichava in uh, most normal context simply means the thought and examination. But uh, I have faith in the explanation in first jhana, it is not what we normally call in a, a thought and examination. I take it to be in more like a initial and sustained application of mind in this context not towards the meditation object. Now, there's still an effort in first jhana. Now, uh, even in the description of the Buddha, Ajatang, Sampasadanang, for the second jhana, now, with the full confidence in the meditation object, there's no effort. Now, the mind doesn't have to apply itself towards the meditation object anymore and doesn't have to hold it. In the second one, in the first one, still has to do that. But uh, my understanding would be you know, if you're just thinking along like in normal daily life, even if you think about the Buddha or about the Dhamma, that, that will not normally be a first jhana. However, in the end, it may not be so important how exactly you label that, because uh, if you have first jhana, it's good to develop it towards second jhana. So you can always deepen it, whatever you believe you have there, or whatever you call it, 
the uh, aim would be not to further deepen the samadhi in any case. And that would be obviously in going deeper. And the other thing is that you use whatever samadhi you have for insight, for contemplation, for developing wisdom. And uh, if someone has got a certain definition of jhana, they have faith in and then they're convinced they have jhana. And then they apply whatever they have there in terms of samatha, samadhi, and if they succeed in developing insight and free the heart from defilements, namai anamodana sadhu, and it doesn't matter so much now you define that. Now this would basically what um, is a kind of acid test, how you can check it a little bit. If it is true samadhi, you should get pretty good insight meditation based on that. You should also be able not to sit a very long time if it's too jhana. And usually it is quite long. Sometimes for the first time or something, the people may fluke it, so to speak. But if someone thinks that they have uh, first jhana quite stable, that they can quite easily attain that. Uh, but they find it difficult not to sit, say, more than an hour. I would find it very uh, unlikely very unusual. If you have that am amount of samadhi, you can usually sit quite long. Uh, secondly, that amount of samadhi, even just in inverted commas, just or only, first jhana, it will mean that the hindrances are strongly suppressed. And that is even once you come out. And so someone coming out of first jhana and then uh, feeling depressed or getting angry and grumpy and so on, that is also very odd. Of course, samadhi doesn't eliminate the defilements and they can creep back in. And first jhana is not yet that deep. But particularly if someone is convinced that they can quite easily attain that, that would mean that they should have this repeated suppression and if they do their first jhana for a certain time every single day, you know, that you should be pretty free from five hindrances, so they should be very weak. But anyway, you know, without going into unnecessary controversy, you, know, you, you have content, you don't have that, and so on. Ajahn Chah was really good, and he didn't usually talk about that so much, although he may do when uh, people had these experiences and then he would talk to them personally. Uh, quite a number of these kuba they could actually sense that when someone uh, has that experience and then they would talk with them on quite a different level. But no need not to go into controversy. Now, whatever your definition it's always good not to further deepen the samadhi towards second, third, fourth. If you think you have got fourth jhana, then go for the arupa. <laughs> um, and the other one, very important, then apply it. Can you use it then as a foundation for insight, for developing, strengthening your investigation, developing the wisdom faculty?
I would find a particular, uh, even more unusual if someone finds it so easy you know, if you're in lay life with maybe a married or a partner and not a celibate partnership uh, would be surprising to me again if someone can easily do jhana. I mean, some people, again, they have just very weak defilements. Someone like Venabasai Potana, for him it was actually easy. Because due to his past practice, if he was, when he was born in his in last life as Venabasai Potana, or as a lay person who later ordained and became Venabasai Potana as a monk, it was already so weak. And his, uh, additionally, his spiritual faculties were so strong that for him it actually was easy. I haven't met many people like that, and even the most outstanding ones I know of, the people like Ajahn Man, Ajahn Shah, they uh, had uh, big struggles in their practice. But whatever the definition, the aim would always be to further deepen the samadhi, and secondly, then to use it for insight. And if one has a very good samadhi, it should be a very powerful support to also make progress in one's inside practice. Yeah, that is very important. As you say, in, um, sustained attention on the suitable meditation object, you know, that is obviously crucial. But you see, this is not something different from saying that you have to abandon the five hindrances. Because if the five hindrances are strong, you will not be able to sustain attention unbroken for a long time on your breath. The mind will go to the... Uh, object, the Aramanana, that is connected with the anger, when you have anger. Or uh, the first one, of course, an essential desire. The mind will uh, go towards some central attraction, and so on. Uh, so these two things is just expressing the same thing from a different angle. And again, if someone knows things, the task is now I have to sustain attention for a really long time and they just try that you know, with incredible willpower um, it will not really work what, what you have to do is you know, reducing the five hindrances in the long run and then you can do that but if you're only aiming at you know, samadhi means you know, sustaining attention unbroken on that suitable meditation object this is not wrong but if that is the only way you, you practice, it will not succeed because the hindrances are too strong. And just by trying to sustain attention, say, on the breath, this is not a very effective means to overcome sensuality and anger and so on. You will need no other techniques to do that. But for sure, in the samadhi, uh, will develop through that long, continuous, unbroken, sustained attention, yeah. No, but there's no trick how you can 
maintain this attention so long. It's no, no easy trick and uh, it's usually not possible or very limited in how much one can just do that with willpower. Some people have a certain very peculiar samadhi faculty and they may succeed in doing that to quite some unusual extent and even when the hindrances are not yet that weak. Now that is someone with particular strong samadhi uh, indriya. Now they, they may be able to do that. They have this special ability, you know, someone who can just put their mind onto something. But even there is a limit. You know, if their defilements, uh, hindrances are too strong, they will also not work. If the samadhi faculty you know, at birth, so past life practice is weaker, then obviously you know, the hindrances will more easily take you away. And then one has to you know, train the samadhi faculty and um, file even more away in the hindrances.